morning. Good morning, Timberline Church. We're so glad to be with you this morning. Please stand with us if you're able. Let's sing praises to the Lord together. Freedom, awake and alive. Oh, Jesus, 
singing this morning, church.
in the name of Jesus. There's life in the name of Jesus. Let's pray together. Dear God, we do speak the name of Jesus over things in our life that feel out of control. We speak the name of Jesus over depression, anxiety, illness, addiction. God, we speak your name because we know there's power, power in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you. We give this time to you, Lord. We're so grateful that we have the opportunity to come together and worship through song, worship through hearing your word, what you have for us, what truth you want us to grasp on today and walk out in our lives. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So good to see you. Hey, before you have a seat, Love for you to turn to your neighbor and tell them spring is coming. <laughs> you know, I, I, I did look at the weather app and I see that we have snow and some pretty strong negative temperatures, but history tells us that spring will come. Super grateful for that. You know, I just want to say welcome. My name is Carrie Stewart. I'm the missions pastor here at Timberline. If this is your first time here, my prayer is that you feel at home, whether you're in person or online. We're so glad that you're with us. There's a connection card in the chair back in front of you. If you take a moment, especially if this is your first time, take that connection card out. You can fill it out. You can also scan the QR code that's on there. We'd love to know how best to connect with you. It's also, for all of you, a way for you to know what's going on at Timberline Church. I also want to let you know we have a lot of wonderful small groups happening right now. There's support groups, there's Bible studies, there's social groups, interest groups like hiking and biking. Our desire is that you be connected. Be connected with others that you're journeying through life with drawing closer to Jesus. Check it out. You can do that on our website, on our app, and also on that QR code that I was telling you about on the connection card. So I'm looking forward to continuing our series on Mark with Pastor Derry this weekend. everybody you doing good wow what a what a great worship time that was fantastic thanks for singing and 
entering in, jumping in. Uh, we really do welcome you. We're so glad that you are here. We're having a great weekend, a lot of fun. We have a fun but very serious message to challenge uh, you with. And so uh, let's just jump right in. I, how many, I've called this uh, Let's Have Dinner. How many of you like to have dinner? Is it dinner or supper for you? Dinner? How many suppers? Okay, we have quite a few. I sort of grew up both. I heard both a lot. So either way, I know it means I like it, <laughs> especially if there's dessert involved. But uh, uh, this, this story is really controversial. And in our culture, the way we live today, it, it doesn't have the, the grab to the heart that it would have in the culture that it happened in. So I'm going to try my best to get you to see how scary this was with what really happened. I, I had a, a really interesting, I mean, every, every big event, like think, of, think of, of you, just how you celebrate birthday, anniversary, life, Christmas, Easter. How many of you, all of those involve food? It's true, isn't it? it they all involve food. Almost every major event in our lives involved food. Why is that? Food, food and sitting down together, talking, conversation, it's all part of something that happens that allows us to kind of open up and recharge and get to know people. Jesus kind of had a trademark in his ministry, and that was taking people to dinner, eating with the disciples. How many times do we see that? They sat down, had a meal, even the last meal. And so that's kind of why this story is important. And in Jewish tradition, all through the Old Testament, there are many meals, all kinds of offering meals, and they all meant something. So, so what we see today is more than just let's cook a hamburger and say goodbye. This is a sit down, I want to know you kind of meal. So I had a funny thing happen. Bonnie and I, my wife is Bonnie, and... We, we went to, we grew up in Grand Junction, West Slope, Colorado, uh, met in high school, and then went to Bible school in Missouri, and then after that, we went to Denver for five years as a youth pastor, and then I had the privilege of going back to Grand Junction to my home church, where my dad had actually pastored, and becoming the youth pastor for two years before coming here. So that, that's been at least... 20 years ago, maybe, yeah, maybe 35, 30, uh, anyway, it feels less than that, <laughs> I, I, I can't believe how, how fun it was, and when we got there, there was a, a, a young couple in the church, really sweet people, who said, we want to just get to know you, and uh, we've never met you, his name was Rick Kaufman, and his wife, really sweet, he happened to be a little intimidating, he was, in 1976, he was bodybuilder, Mr. Colorado. So he looked a lot like this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This guy was massive. I mean, he's just a wall. And uh, he said, come over for dinner. So we got the time set and everything. We went over to the house for dinner. And we, we have a you know, welcome and all that. We sit down at the table after visiting a little while. And I noticed there's plates and a lot of napkins, but there's no utensils. And I almost said, let me help, let me grab the silverware, you know. But then they said, 
Um, we sort of have a tradition that the first time we have people over to our house, we, out, we eat without utensils. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and then he laughed and he, he, he pulled out these towel-like bibs with a, a band that you snap over your neck and it's like this full towel. And we all put it on and he said, we're having barbecue Cornish hens. And we're not gonna cut them, you have to just tear into them. So literally, for the next hour plus, we sat there and just clawed into these Cornish hen. It was a Cornish hen massacre on our table with barbecue sauce and bones and wiping your hands on all these towels and wet wipes. I have to say, if you ever really wanna get to know somebody, that is the way you do dinner, right there. I feel like I knew them better than anyone I'd ever had dinner with at that point in the church. It was a lot of fun. Um, Bonnie and I still remember that because it was very memorable. This dinner that we're about to talk about was a dinner that no one would ever forget who was there. It's really big. It's why it's in the Bible, actually. And so the first thing that I want to just point out, there's five points if you're following along in the outline on the app or whatever. This is Mark 2. We're going story by story. Jesus went out. Doesn't sound very profound, does it? But I wanna, I wanna remind you of where we were last week. Let me read it. Mark 2, this is straight out of the story, verse 13. Then Jesus went out. Where'd he go? He went to the lake shore again, and he taught the crowds that were coming to him. Okay, now, let's pick it up from last week. If you were here, I know you remember every detail of the sermon last week. I don't even remember what I preached on last week. So I had to look back, but it was about team. By the way, go Chiefs. I, I like Philly too, but my family, I told you last week, and they had to, wasn't that a great game though? Yeah, no. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I just hijacked my whole sermon just then. Sorry, I didn't mean to. What was I talking about? I lost my whole train of thought. Um, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, team. So, so these guys bring, they bring this guy who's paralyzed, they bring him to the house, they, they cut a hole in the roof, they let him down. And it says in the Bible, in the verses before, that all these people started coming to see Jesus. That was the point I was trying to make. All these people are flooding around him. He can't go anywhere. And he finally makes it back to the house he was staying. I think it was Peter's mother-in-law's house. And, and he's, he's like away from the crowds and people. And he's there. And then this verse starts by saying, Jesus went out. You know what that means? It means he didn't stay in. He didn't isolate. He didn't retreat. He didn't live his life by himself so no one could harm him, no one could hurt him. He could never have a disappointment. He could never feel what real life feels like. He went out. Thank God he did. So many times in our lives when we get hurt or wounded or people are snagging us or grabbing us or saying mean things about us, we become a recluse. Listen, can I just say, as the children of God, as we call this our living room, as family, as brothers and sisters, we are not called to just hide away somewhere and wait for God to come and save us. We're called to get out. We're called to be out there. This message is all about that. Jesus went out. 
And it's a good thing he did because he met some really interesting people. And even in his pain, even in his disappointment, he kept ministry. I personally think Jesus was more of an introvert than he was an extrovert. How many times do we see him breaking away to go to the mountain to pray with his father? And the disciples would chase him down and find him and say, where were you? And he's like, I'm trying to get some alone time. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. But I think he felt that way a few times. But we see him that he, he knew there was more to do. And you guys, just keep that in mind as a backdrop for where I'm about to go, okay? This message today should challenge you. Because it's, if you'll allow me, I'm going to... I'm gonna find I'm gonna find a tricky way to not not deceptive way, but I'm gonna try to find a unique way to force you to ask some hard questions about your real life. I'm asking them. Number two, about my life. Number two, a unique invitation. So this road in Capernaum there, they start down this road, and as he walked along. He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collector's booth. That means nothing to some of you, but trust me, that is a very, very big, important statement in this story. Jesus said, follow me and be my disciple. So Levi got up from his little table there and he started following Jesus. This was a mind-boggling moment. Matter of fact, a few of the disciples that Jesus had already called, like James and John, um, Peter, Simon, Peter, I think they were like, are you kidding me? If they're walking with Jesus and he calls Levi, we know him as Matthew. Matthew could have been his Greek word. Levi could have been his Hebrew word. Also, sometimes when people are converted, they, their names were changed, so we know him mostly as Matthew. But he's a tax collector. And we're fishermen. This is the very guy and people like him in our region who have ripped us off for years. Are you kidding me? Don't have him follow you. We're following you. This is, this is, this is a war about to start. I, I, think, I think this this so mind-boggling they had to have moments when they're like, okay, I'm not following Jesus anymore. I'm not getting along with this guy. That's for sure. I don't like him. Tax collectors were despised. But I wanna, I'll tell you one thing for sure. I believe with all of my heart, this was the first and only time that Matthew had ever had a rabbi, a teacher, invite him to the team. This has never happened. And it's a big deal. And everyone knows it. And it's going to create a lot of controversy for Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever been treated unfairly, but that's what tax collectors did. It would be like someone who just doesn't like you that does something to you and you retaliate in some way and you show up at court to settle the dispute and they're the judge. And they just fine you heavily. And you try to fight it in court and they're the next judge. And you can't win. And they can put you in prison. And there's no way to get out of that. And it was oppressive. That's what tax collectors did. So just imagine how this feeling was in the, the group. And, and Matthew's walking along with them. And they're, 
Like, I don't know what's going on here. What is Jesus thinking? Number three, the risk and reward in relationships. We have to talk about this because there's risk when you invite Matthew to the team, but there's also a potential of rewards. Can I just say, every relationship that you have, every relationship you have in your life has risk and reward. Everyone. You, you wanted to get married, didn't you? It's like this. Yeah, if you're married, yeah. yeah that, that has some great rewards, but it also has some risks. Some of you have been really hurt or really sad. It's been hard. It's not easy. Risk, reward. Then you wanted to have kids, didn't you? How's that going? <laughs> risk, reward, risk, reward. Friendships, risk, reward. Neighborhood, risk, reward. Oh, you broke down my fence. No, I didn't. Keep your dog off of my yard. Risk reward. All every relationship has risk reward. And so that's what this point is about. And it's about to be seen because in verse 15 it says this. Later, I don't know how the Bible doesn't indicate how how long this is. A month, a week, I don't know. Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many other what? Tax collectors and other (laughs) disreputable, say it with me, sinners. Woo, that is such an unpolitical, non-political, bad political word. Sinners. Let's say it again just for fun. Sinners. And then I love this parenthesis. Um, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. <laughs> That's, there's a statement right there. You got to chew on that one a while. Many others like this. So Jesus says, come follow me. Levi says, yes, this is controversial. And then sometime later, Levi says, I want to have a party. And I want you to come, bring the disciples that have been following you, and I'll invite all my friends, tax collectors, and um, some other rowdies. This is a very strange moment in history, honestly. This, this changed the scope of so much, and Jesus is going to reveal why he does this here in a minute, and, and we need to learn from it, because there are some big lessons here that we need to, to get out of this. It's very unlikely that a group like this could ever assemble together, much less at Levi's house. I promise you, the disciples even walking into the house, it would be their first time to ever go into a tax collector's house. And they were looking around like, this is where all my money went. Seriously. This was hard. This was This was a challenge, and they didn't know what to expect. Here's why tax collectors were hated. Now, if you understand this part, it will help you. It wasn't just because they were tax collectors. It was because they cheated. They were liars, and they were traitors. You say, well, explain that. They were Jewish people hired by the Roman government. Now, first of all, the Jewish nation stuck together. You don't don't go outside the Jewish world especially to work for Rome. Rome was their oppressor. So it'd be like, your family, what are you doing? Well, Rome offered me a job. Well, say no. 
So what happened was they literally were viewed as traitors because they're Jewish people who Rome hired to collect the taxes from their people. And then it got worse. Rome put a certain levy on what they wanted from other um, Jewish people, and the tax collectors made it bigger than what Rome asked them to make it and kept the difference. And everyone knew this was going on. That's why tax collectors were rich, is because they unfairly taxed people and made them pay or they could go to jail. One of the guys, IRS, was a disciple that, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> this was a tough situation because Jews who worked for Rome didn't know how to fix the problem, and so they just isolated and all tax. That's why, that's why when it says he invited all of his friends, they were tax collectors and other people like him. Okay? Because no, no other Jewish person would go to their house. So you just got to get that picture. Um, but Jesus saw the heart of Levi. He saw through the sin. He saw through the greed. He saw through the dishonesty. And he went to the house of sinners. Wow. Now this is where I'm challenged. Would you be willing to go there? And is this healthy for you to go there? Um, what was Jesus thinking? Is he trying to prove something here with this tension? Um, I don't know what he was trying to do. I, I love reaching people for the Lord, but you think Jesus is compromising when he goes into this house? Should he have gone in there? This was going to hurt his testimony. It was definitely going to hurt his reputation. Did Jesus care about his reputation? Probably not really that much. I, here's, the, here's the tension. You, you read the Apostle Paul when he writes his, his second letter to the church in Corinth. Now, Corinth was a messed up church. Stay with me on this. They had a lot of idolatry. They had a 1,000 prostitutes at the temple. Christians were going and partaking of all this sin, coming back and going to church. So Paul is drawing a line between how to avoid sinful situations and staying righteous. And so we have verses like chapter 6, verse 17. Look at this. Therefore, Paul says, come out from among unbelievers, separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, meaning idols mostly. And I will welcome you. In other words, stay away from that stuff. I have a, a better plan. And yet Jesus goes to Matthew's house as a tax collector with a bunch of sinners. So which is it? I hang out with sinners or I stay away from sinners? You can't be my friend anymore. So here's kind of some logic behind it. Do you have to become an alcoholic to minister to alcoholics? Oh, you don't? Okay, that's important. Because a lot of people deceive themselves in order to become like a group so they'll be liked and let in. It's like, it's like an undercover cop. You're gonna, you're gonna trust me and then I'm gonna get you. That's not what Christianity is. I grew up in a home where I was taught, thankfully, to avoid sinful situations. 
And I knew when I needed to leave. Matter of fact, it's called legalism when you take it too far. How many of you know what legalism is? It's, it's, that, it's that thing that goes beyond what the Bible even says. And it's killed a lot of Christians. It's hurt a lot of people. But I, I remember growing up, I got a note from my mom. I love you, mom, if you're watching. You did nothing wrong here. Um, she really didn't. She was just trying to live this passage. Um, and it said that I don't have, we had gym class and they were gonna teach us how to dance. How many of you know dancing is of the devil? <laughs> so I had a note saying, I don't have to do this. It's against my religion. And it was the hokey pokey. <laughs> I'm not making this up. You put your right foot in, and you can't get it out. It's addictive. It holds on to you. It's the world, and you die there. At least there was one other person, Rosalind. She was like the Methodist pastor's daughter, and she had a note too. So we just sat up on the bleachers and made out for a half an hour while they danced. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. But it does make a point. It does make a point. Oh, we make mountains out of nothing, sometimes us Christians. <sighs> Jesus did not compromise when he went to Levi's house. He saw the heart. I wish we could see the heart like Jesus did. I wish we could see people's heart like God does. Because what happens to us is we see an ideology that we don't agree with. Oh, this gender issue, all oh, this sexuality stuff, all oh, this. It's an ideology that the Bible has something to say about. And so I have an opinion. And I'm trying to walk in truth. And then this ideology gets put in a human being. And now all of a sudden, what I need to see is the human being more than the ideology, ideology that I don't like and don't want. But when I see the human being, God in me loves the human being. And maybe there'll be a relationship and a way to help discuss the ideology. But the human being comes first. Matthew didn't get his life cleaned up when he got up from the table and started following Jesus. This is hard for us as believers. We want, we want it now. You've come, to, you've come to faith. Get rid of those habits. Get clean. Get Well, yeah, of course, that's our goal, but sometimes it takes, oh, a lifetime. We're pretty impatient with other people. But me, you know, Oh, I just do that once in a while. A little affair here and there. Right? I mean, I mean, people get stuck on this, and they, they project all this on others that they don't even see themselves. Jesus is trying to teach us something. He goes to dinner to Matthew's house. He doesn't compromise. It's so important. Another thing that's important in the story, and I'll, I'll move on to the fourth point, just a second. It was Matthew, who invited Jesus to his house. Why does that matter? 
Because I think sometimes we invite ourselves into someone's house when we're not invited. Oh, let me tell you the truth about Jesus and you'll straighten all this up. No, they're not asking you to do that. If someone doesn't invite you into their world, they're not gonna listen to your ideology. That's why we follow the nudge. We talked about at the beginning of the year, let the Holy Spirit lead you. I can't force a conversation on someone who disagrees with my worldview. But if I see the human being, then I might have an opportunity to share thoughts and, and love and kindness and grace and get in a little deeper into someone's life. Matthew said, why don't you come to my house, Jesus? And Jesus said, okay, and I'll bring my guys with me, and I'll meet your friends, and I'll even talk to them, and I won't despise them or rebuke them. Let's have dinner. Wow. All right, number four. The criticism of the religious. Now, I need to say this. I'm using the word religious. Let me, let me show you the tension. How many of you are religious? See, I see a, a few of you go, well, I mean, what do you mean by religious? <laughs> That's the tension of a word like this. So let me tell you how I mean it. I mean it as someone who is legalistic, like the Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law, scribes. They were religious in the sense of adding guilt to people, condemnation, shame. True religion, pure religion, loving God and loving people is awesome. But that's not what I'm talking about in this point. So the critics who were legalists get involved in the story, verse 16. But when the teachers of religious law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they ask his disciples, I love this. I don't know why I see this stuff in the Bible, but they didn't go ask Jesus. Why? Because they had seen his power. He healed people. They thought, maybe he'll nuke us. You know, I mean, <laughs> they're like, let's get the disciples and find out what he told them. So they go to the disciples. Why is he eating with these hard people? Why does he eat with such, wow, strong Greek word there. It is. Scum. Wow. It's like the lowest thing they could say. Who is this guy? Who is this rabbi you're following that eats with scum? Come on. Come on. I mean, that's, that, that's the heart. They do not understand this. And if you lived in their world, you would know it's legit what they're feeling. They've worked their whole lives to get out of that mess to take people out of that place, to get people to not, to not be involved in that kind of stuff. Wow. What can we do to try to make friends and relationships who are sinners and scumbags, how can we take them to dinner? It's a big question, and it's a tension. Because I don't need to become like them in order to have them in my life. I've, I've been in places that I knew when it was time to leave. I've been very involved in our city for all these years. Different clubs, rotary clubs, boards, hospital boards, uh, other, other things in our city that are not related to Timberline Church. And I, I've been to those social events and I know 
when it's like, okay, babe, I think maybe we should go now. But building that bridge, I, I rode with some biker friends. I don't ride much anymore, but I, I'll tell you, I, I had some great friends, but some pretty rough friends. And I knew when it was a good time to maybe leave. <laughs> but you know, through those years, I had a couple of those guys hook up with me sobbing because their life was being ruined. And I got to pray with both of them. Now, was there a revival? Did all the hell's angels get saved? No, they were not hell's angels. <laughs> I would not be in that group, just so you know. Um, so there is a, there's, there's a line, and I, I don't want to be a pastor that's trying to get you to go somewhere you shouldn't be going, okay? What is your strength? What are your weaknesses? What are your tendencies? Pay attention. Jesus was strong. Jesus didn't go to Matthew's house to irritate the religious people. That's another thing that I want you to really hear. You're not called to just make legalist Christians mad. I've seen liberals in churches who just fight everything because they want to prove a point. Jesus wasn't trying to prove a point by going to Levi's house. He was trying to get to know Levi and his friends. He had a great motive and he had great intention. Those two words, if you ask yourself, what is my motive in this? What are my intentions in going there? Some of you work with people right now. Thank God. God put you in the middle of a mess. You have family members right now. You're in the middle of a mess. And, and God is wanting you to see the human being more than their ideology and to build a bridge to them and to listen when they talk and to pay attention. Or have you become judgmental? When I, when I put this question down in my notes, I said in my notes, Yes, I have, because <laughs> I have, and God's working on me with this. I don't want to be that legalist, but see, here's the thing that I know about all of you is the opinions that you have formed through time and with your experience, you are right about everything. Does that feel good to you, that you know you're right? And if everyone could just be like you, the world's problems would go away? Never have that kind of an arrogance. Always be teachable. Always live broken. Always understand there's something I don't know in this picture. There's always a story behind the story. Why is that person so angry? Oh, if you knew, you would understand. There's a lot of stuff like that. Jesus had the ability to see the heart. I don't. And so don't become critical. Don't become a judgmental Christian. Examine your own heart, your attitude today, and trust God. Last thing, number five, the life message of Jesus. This is such a positive point in this message, and I really hope you'll give some time to examine your own life and your own heart. It says this in verse 17. Listen to how strong this is. When Jesus heard this, by the way, what did he hear? The religious people, the Pharisees, he heard that they came to his disciples because the disciples said, hey, they're asking us, why, why are you hanging out with scumbags? When Jesus heard that, he told them, healthy people do not need a doctor. Sick people do. 
I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Wow. That is the mission of Jesus right there. If you read commentators, they'll say this is kind of like the life message of Jesus. He knew why he was put on the earth, and this is it. This is it. And I just challenge you to think about what this means to you. How can I have a mission that honors God? So here's what I'm asking you to do. Take, take this question. It's, I think it's even in your notes, maybe on the screen. What is your life message? So I've, I've given a little attempt um, this week, throughout the week, what is my life message? Like, if you've ever had a life plan or something like that, you come out with this sentence that kind of says what you're about and what you believe God's mission is for you. So I'm not gonna share mine with you because you'll try to steal it. I know you will. Um, no, the, the better answer is you need to do your own work in what your life mission is, and it's not easy. Pro I promise it's not easy. Take some time this week and, and write a sentence or two about your life mission, would you? Take it seriously. Say, why am I here? And, and pray about it. And maybe talk to people that love you and that you're doing life with and see how accurate it is. Does this fit what you see in me? And, and write it down and, and post it somewhere on a mirror or a car or where you can just look at it every day and say, how am I doing this mission? Jesus this is a strong statement. you got to hear me say it. This life mission that we just read, it got him killed. It got him killed. How many times do you see in the New Testament it says that from this point on they said, we will take you out. So he died. Living his mission. <laughs> I love that about Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, wow. What a story. Man, I'm convicted. I'm encouraged. I just feel all of these things today. But mostly I know I need you. I want to be in the middle of lives that are messy and it's tough and I don't know what to say and it's awkward. But I also want to draw a line of purity and truth and walk in that space where it's honorable to you. So give us wisdom as individuals to be able to know how to navigate life like that. And let us go where you send us. Let us see the people right in front of us. With heads bowed in here, just a couple questions. Do you need Jesus Christ? Online, those of you listening right now, do you need the Lord? Just say yes. If you do, if you haven't made a commitment to follow him, this is a great moment to just say, Lord, I need you. I need you in my life. I, I give you my life right now. You say, but, but I'm not all cleaned up yet. Well, believe me, neither was Matthew. His life was still a mess, but he, he left the table and he followed Jesus. The cleanup comes as you walk with Jesus. That's the truth. So start walking. Secondly, if you're a critical Christian and you become judgmental of others and legalistic in your beliefs and you've closed everyone out and you're the watchdog for what holiness looks like. I'm going to ask you to just stop all that. Get your relationship back centered on who are you touching, who are you giving to, how are you spending your life, your time, your energy, your dollars. Are you a giver? 
You're not called to just be the judge of everybody. Let's let God do that. And let's trust him in that. Lord, I just repent of any judgmental spirit. I'll let you do that. Help me to see the human being in front of me. And give me open doors to go to Matthew's house where we can talk stuff in relationship based on love and trust. We give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sure love you. Proud of you. I really am thankful for you. I'm, I'm really enjoying doing life with you and talking about some of these difficult things. And let's all just make it a point to say, God, start with me and uh, we'll do it. Let's stand and sing a song. And uh, these words are powerful. So really let it ring if you're able to do that. because he's present today. The power of his Holy Spirit deposited truths in your heart today. If you join Pastor Derry in that prayer saying, yes, I need Jesus. I want you to know we're gonna have a prayer team down here in just a little bit. They can make their way forward now. And they're here to pray with you. 
We have some resources we'd like to get to you as you start your journey with Jesus. It's such an honor to be on this journey. If you're online, please, there's a, a place for you to get information right there. And we're just excited to be on this journey with you. You know, I want to encourage you to pay attention to the things that God spoke to your heart today. Don't let them go. And just just kind of lean into that, what God has for you to take away. You know, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to all of you who give faithfully through Timberline Church. You're making an impact globally, nationally, and locally. Every time you give, a percentage of that goes to missions. Many of you participated in our one-day offering for um, Convoy of Hope last year. And because of that, we've been present. There's going to be some pictures on the screen that we received from Convoy of Hope. You're present. Your giving's present as Convoy of Hope is there providing essential items for those in need. And I want to say thank you. Being in the missions office, I get to see often how our giving makes an impact. You can give online. You can give through our app. There's also a giving box at the back that you can give as you leave. We're just, it's wonderful to be able to give together. You know, I just want to say before you go, my prayer for you is that you let love live. Let love live through your conversations, through your work, through your family. Let's say it together. Let love live. God bless you guys. Pastor Derry's at the Welcome Center. For those of you at first time, he'd love to say hi. Bye-bye.